If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Level Up, the esports and gaming show with me, Nathan Bliss, esports and game writer at Reach PLC. Going forward from today's episode, I'll be presenting Level Up solo, but I just wanted to say a thank you to Marcus for his involvement over the first few episodes. On today's episode of Level Up, I was joined by Kojo, also known as Colin Johnson, Senior Team Director at Fnatic, one of the biggest esports organizations in the world. They have won more than 200 championships across 30 different games, including League of Legends, CSGO, Dota 2 and FIFA. We talked about his role at Fnatic, managing esports talent, discussing the story of how Fnatic finally landed the best FIFA esports player in the world in Tex, how FIFA can be improved as an esport and looking ahead to the future of esports. Enjoy. Director at Fnatic, how are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me on, Nathan. Good. So seriously, though, how are you doing? Because it's been uh, it's been a bit of a tough few weeks, months for everyone, hasn't it? Uh, how are you kind of getting through this period? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I'm I'm in London, uh, like one of the most lockdown cities I think in the world. Mm. Um, but because I'm actually from Wichita, Kansas originally, and um, they've had everything pretty much completely back open for the past few months. So. Would have killed to have been back there, but uh, yeah, we're here in London. Um, esports still kind of going on at the same pace, to be honest. Uh, I think FIFA was probably the most affected overall, but you know, League of Legends is fully back at it. Um, a lot of our other, you know, Counter Strike still back at it. Um, we've just kind of had to adjust, and what industry is kind of better better poised to adjust than esports, right? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked about that on a few podcasts. I think a couple of the people we've had on have argued that this kind of period that we've had esports has kind of moved itself upwards more than it would have if we hadn't have had this kind of worldwide thing going on it's kind of maybe moved itself a few years in front of where it could have been yeah in terms of like i mean you've seen how well for example like the nascar activation did and how that put that in front of a lot of people that had probably never seen any kind of esport in the past which I think was pretty cool. Obviously, you had the F1 stuff that, you know, has been doing really well in the past few years, but obviously kind of putting itself main stage now as well has, has done really well. And uh, yeah, everyone's at home. So uh, the viewership, I think, in general across the board has has kind of gone up for, for some of the online events, whether it's, you know, League of Legends or, or Counter-Strike or whatever else. It's, it's kind of the... Uh, only at least as of the last few weeks right uh, football's just coming back now but for months it was kind of the only thing to watch in terms of entertainment because you've got no new movies no new tv shows can't really be made um so yeah we've been kind of the main entertainment it's been really fun to see and um hopefully it continues as as mainstream as it has been in this last few months i hope that it continues in that in that way as well so you're um job description is senior team director just give us an idea of what you do in your role kind of day to day yeah so um been with Fnatic for like three and a half years now um when I first started I was just kind of a kind of like a smaller team director in terms of I only was working with one team at the time so I started with FIFA um, but since then I've kind of expanded into working across six or seven different titles over the past three and a half years which means you know that's scouting players uh recommending signings working with our chief gaming officer to uh you know, make sure that these signings get across the uh, across the uh, across the line. Um, going to the events, uh, managing the players on a day to day basis, uh, making sure that they have what they need. Uh, working with our partnerships team to try and uh, find any uh, unique activations that we can do. And like for example, we just did the Maui Gym announcement this week with uh, with Tex, which was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, it's 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 more so just about building those relationships as well within the communities. So you know, meeting the players, the coaches, the uh, the tournament organizers, building those relationships with the developers as well, whether that's EA or Psyonix or Epic or whoever it might be. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of an all around role. 
because um, in a lot of our, our teams as well, we'll have team directors, but under that we'll have team managers and we'll have analysts, coaches, uh, you know, sports psychologists, all that kind of stuff. But the team director is kind of the uh, at, at the top of the pyramid, I guess you could say, right behind the, the chief gaming officer who kind of leads the overall strategy um, across the organization for, for the gaming side. Sounds a bit like a mix between like a, a football agent and a manager almost in terms of w what your job description is. Is that fair? I think so. Yeah. Well, actually, before I got into management, I was I was an agent, actually. That's how I got my start in esports was ah, okay. I was uh, as I was representing about a dozen different FIFA players. Um, so that was the way I got in was because I pitched our FIFA players or my FIFA players at the time to AS Roma. And AS Roma was one of, I think, 500 different clubs and organizations that I emailed. I emailed the Chinese League, the Premier League, the, you know, the, the MLS, like across the world. I emailed pretty much every single club I, I could think of to their marketing managers, their social media managers, whoever might be able to just kind of say, hmm, this kind of looks interesting, right? Um, and Roma came back and Roma had similar investors to uh, Fnatic at the time. So then that relationship kind of picked up and that's how I first met Patrick, who's the uh, chief gaming officer at Fnatic. And that's when they pulled the trigger and kind of said, well, we don't really have anyone internally that uh, that does that kind of knows FIFA or has experience in managing this. So they, at that point, they offered me a, a part time position to come on and uh, just kind of see how it goes. And yeah, three and a half, late, three and a half years later, I'm still here. So <laughs> must have gone well, I guess. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you emailed that many football clubs. I wonder now, looking back, I wonder how many think, oh, I should have responded to that email. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, over the last few years, like you said, you've had a, a number of different organizations grow within FIFA and a lot of football clubs as well have, have had their own kind of FIFA players as well. Like you look at Man City, Paris Saint-Germain, West Ham in the Premier League as well. But uh, we haven't seen people like uh, Liverpool and people like that really get involved that much. So maybe they'll be looking at that over the last few, not the next few years, hopefully. What was it about AS Roma, do you think, that made them want to get into esports? Well, I think the AS Roma was in a really interesting development stage when I sent that email because they were kind of in the middle of a, uh, a kind of a revolution within the club, I think. Uh, Paul Rogers had just came, uh, come there, and I think he was either at Liverpool before beforehand. Um, and he came over there to be kind of their head of digital media in general. And that guy's a, I mean, he's just a genius, to be honest. I mean, he, he turned AS Roma's, uh, you know, social media and content departments into, into what they are today and their digital presence. And I think they went from like outside of the top 100 clubs in the world to now they're in like the top 15 in terms of social media, YouTube, um, all these types of things. Um, and so at the time, I think they were a lot more open to just kind of taking risks and, um, kind of engaging with their younger and uh, different audiences in different ways. Um, and uh, ever since then, I mean, I've been working with uh, two guys, especially over there, John Marco and, and Mitty, um, who were both, uh, I think, really open to, to just seeing where it could go. Um, and I think from day one, the, the amount of support that Roma gave was, was massive as well. Like they've, they've, they were so great in terms of, you know, really just believing in the vision and believing in the uh, kind of, not and because I think a lot of clubs what they do is is they'll think okay we're we're West Ham right so we need to sign only English players and we should only sign English players which if you think about how West Ham Football Club operates that's not how they operate right they don't just sign English players they sign the best players they can um, so that's the way Roma came into it they were like well we're not just going to sign Italian players because at that time there were maybe only one maybe two Italians at the top level, and neither of them were really that interesting, I think. Um, so we went out and signed the, the best players that we thought we could actually get at the time, and that was kind of pan-European. And we, I mean, since over the past three years, we've signed players from North America, we've signed players from Europe, we've uh, signed players from South America, uh, we've kind of gone all over the world in terms of our signings. Um, so I think that they were just like really open to kind of grow wherever they could, you know, we've had players in, you know, Brazil, the USA, Canada. Um, and for them, I think they just saw it as like investments in these different regions that we could kind of help bring, even if it's another dozen fans to Roma, I, I think it's worth it for, for the amount of investment that, that we were putting in at the time. So, um, yeah, I, I think that it was just kind of the right stage of that club at the time and kind of a bit of luck i think that you know uh john marco who saw the email first i think thought mm, this this could be kind of cool actually it's interesting isn't it because um football clubs especially in england you've got like the traditional fan base haven't you that's got a certain demographic and it could be argued that football clubs aren't really 
doing enough to target the younger generation of fans. So, I mean, esports is ready made for that. Uh, getting involved in that and putting, as long as you do it properly and put the amount of effort in and take it seriously, I mean, that just sounds like uh, a, a really good way of building the fan base from, from the younger age groups. Yeah, 100%. And especially for like clubs that, um, you know, maybe haven't really found that way to engage because i think you know a, a big you know not an epidemic but things that people have talked about in the past is the rising ticket prices within football right and it's kind of taken a lot of young people out of stadiums um so what better way to get people back into maybe not the stadium but at least you know engaging with the with the football club in a meaningful way than engaging with a young 17 year old kid that has just been playing you know fifa for the past 10 years and all of a sudden is is wearing the kit you know it's it's a different type of person that you can look up to and that doesn't you know disregard or make the uh, the you know the actual football players or you know the young players coming through the actual football club, um, you know any less you know realistic or any less kind of important. But I think it's just another way because I don't think every kid grows up and you know maybe wants to be a footballer, but maybe or a kid can be a footballer, but maybe they see you know these young kids playing FIFA and, and kind of see another thing to aspire to be. So I think it just adds another another element, another another tool to the toolbox that um, that football clubs are kind of adding in there uh, slowly as they go. And I think there's kind of two different types of clubs right now as well there's there's clubs that see themselves as a bit more traditional um and that maybe don't want to get involved like this um and then there are other clubs that are just a bit more open to you know taking these chances whether that's you know man city who i think's done a fantastic job i have a lot of good friends over at city city football group in general because they've done with obviously nycfc melbourne city and with uh, man city and they've done a fantastic job in bringing in players that are very local to those areas that have engaged really well with with the fans, I think. Um, so big, big props and big kudos over over to City Football Group. But then there, are, like I said, there's other football clubs that are just very traditional, and I think that it'll be still probably a few decades, to be honest, before they get involved. When you're talking about like, you know, Arsenal haven't really done much, Chelsea haven't really done much. I mean, they may have done little bits and pieces to kind of test the waters, but in terms of any kind of a real serious investment like City has done, I think it might be a, a while yet for for some of those clubs. I went to the E Premier League event last year, uh, where obviously you get the uh, one Xbox player and one PS4 player representing each Premier League club. And obviously, look, lucky for you, it didn't happen. But uh, I saw Tex win it, you know, <laughs> quite easily. To be fair, in the yeah. end, representing Liverpool. And my thought at that time was, it was such a no-brainer to say, okay, yeah. Tex, you come on board and be our, you know, esports player that's going to bring in a whole new generation of fans the amount of young fans that would follow Tex because he's a Liverpool fan as well it's a big part of his personality isn't it obviously lucky yeah. for you that didn't happen but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but lucky for us yeah but uh, that just sounds like something that it just sounds easy doesn't it and it's something you can just do as a you know a way of getting those young fans in yeah well I think I think there's a few parts of that because I think that um for example, when F2 signed Tex in the first place, they probably had the same thought of like, oh, this is easy. We just signed this young kid who, you know, has a lot of a lot of hype around him, a lot of fans and a lot of, you know, um, attention from the FIFA community right now. But I think it's it's a lot more difficult than than that, like in terms of having the correct infrastructure to to actually keep the player happy and keep the player performing at the level that they are. Because it would, like you said, it would have been easy for Liverpool to just to say, "Oh yeah, let's 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 sign him to a contract, give him a Liverpool kit." But do they have the necessary resources internally in terms of like, do you have people that know esports? Do you have people that you know have the existing relationships with the competitive team at EA? Like all these different things. I think there's there's so many different uh, avenues and uh, ways that you have to make sure that your players have. Do they, do they have the facilities right? To bring, because for example, we have the the HQ here in Shoreditch where we bring Donovan down to to practice and to uh, you know play the game and um, stream and and do partnerships, activations, all these different different types of things. And also in terms of the amount of focus that he would get at a place like Liverpool, I mean, ultimately the football club's always going to come first, right? When it comes to Liverpool, whereas with with us, you know, Tex always comes first in terms of uh, his importance to the club. And that's not to say that they wouldn't value him and they wouldn't treat him great, because I'm, I'm sure they would. And we've worked with Liverpool multiple times in the past. And Liverpool's honestly been great to work with in terms of uh, him going over there for EPL or that's him going down there and doing different activations or like doing content with the players. Been absolutely fantastic. But in terms of like actually having the true infrastructure there to like make sure that he's getting the same resources 
that all of our other top teams get. Uh, yeah, I w- I'm not sure that those would be in place from day one, at least with Liverpool. It, like I said, it's all about the level of commitment and investment you're going to put in. Because it's one thing to, you know, pay pay the guy and put him on a contract, but it's another to actually, you know, have the infrastructure that a lot of your tier one esports organizations, for example, will have. Yeah, that's a great point you make there. I mean, if they're going to do it, they've, they've got to do it right, haven't they? And they might have felt yeah. at that time, actually, we haven't got enough resource to, to sign a player like that and keep them happy, like you said. So, yeah, great yeah. point. I haven't really thought about it like that. That's really interesting. But that's why you're on, to tell me <laughs> and educate me. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so let's talk about text then. Obviously, it was F2 beforehand. When mm-hmm. did Tex first come onto your radar as a player that Fnatic could possibly want to sign? Well, it's funny because so I had a player back when we were Roma Fnatic because obviously we're just Fnatic now, but uh, you know about two and a half for about two and a half years, uh, actually up until a few months ago, we were Roma Fnatic, right? So we were a co-branded team. Um, and back in 2017, I had a player named Poacher. I'm not sure if you're aware who that is, but he's he was kind of he was kind of Tex before Tex was Tex in a way, where he was a young 17 year old kid who was just really talented, did a lot of skill moves. Um, extremely talented player i think he just had some like yeah maybe some other problems outside of the game that kind of prevented him from maybe reaching the heights that text did because like i think they're probably equally talented realistically but in terms of other stuff in terms of like the mental side of the game i think he just wasn't as strong but they were actually best friends and at the time this was like a young 15 year old tex and poacher was telling me we were in the gfinity elite series which was this tournament series that was going on fifa tournament series was going on in uh in london down at uh next to Stamford bridge and uh in kind of like this movie theater that they had converted into like an esports venue essentially and so we were in a league process there and in the league you were actually allowed to draft players so tex was in the draft um, and Poacher was telling me, hey, we should draft Tex. And this kid I've never heard of, you know, I've, I've never seen him play. I've never done anything. But at the time, I trusted Poacher. So I was like, all right, you know, you know, we were going to start you anyways. So this kid will just be a backup for us. <laughs> and so we were planning on, on, on signing him to like a, you know, probably like a $300 a month substitute contract or something like this, a really small thing for like six months. And then uh, Barcelona happens which is the, obviously the first event that Tex goes out and wins and becomes Tex, right? Yeah. And this was a few weeks before the draft. So in, a, in an alternate reality, <laughs> there's a possibility that like if that was switched and the Elite Series was first, we could have had Tex on like a small little 300 buck contract for like six months when all this happened. Um, but obviously it didn't happen like that. And it's actually funny because he was sitting, Tex was sitting like across from Poacher, I think, at the tournament. And I kind of ended up becoming Tex's like pseudo manager at the tournament just because uh, him, they, they were both best friends. And after Poacher lost, he became Tex's coach throughout the rest of the event. So I was kind of like hovering around. And uh, that event was really interesting because as Tex, you know, kept winning and people were getting really excited about him and you could kind of see the the vultures i mean i don't know what other words you can use really but like people starting to like surround them and being like oh you're texas mom oh hello hello like people all introducing themselves and um yeah trying to like get their teeth in early um so yeah that was very interesting to watch that process in terms of like uni lad who isn't around now but was around back then was like yeah flocking around and a lot of other teams especially in the uk were flocking around and at the time i wasn't even thinking like oh you know let's sign this kid at the at the time i was just thinking like let's just let the kid play the tournament and then afterwards we can worry about the business stuff because i think it gets really i think it's not cool to him or his mom like that that people did that at the event for example in terms of like kind of already trying to get onto him before before because at the time they didn't really know about esports they didn't know about contracts or any of that kind of stuff because it was his first event ever right so they were still very new to the to the whole process so um but i think there were enough good people around that um they were able to like yeah take their time make the make make a decision that they were happy with and kind of move on from there but uh yeah it was it was a wild experience to to watch this kid i mean I th- i've never seen anything like it in fifi sports where a kid just comes out of absolute nowhere I mean, that's, it's never happened since then. I mean, a lot of the other kids that have come out and won tournaments that maybe it was their first time, it was maybe not expected, but people had heard of them before. Or they had been at other events before, but this is the first time that a kid just shows up and just wins something 
and you're like, you've never heard of their name before. I mean, like you said, I think he went from three, 300, 400 followers the day before the tournament to 66,000, something like that. So yeah, wow. that, that type of meteoric rise, it's, it's so, so rare to see that happen. And you had to sit back then and watch him with F2 for, was it like two <laughs> years? Just kind of yeah. dominate F the FIFA esports scene. And you just kind of kept tabs on him and just kind of kept watching him and just kind yeah. of waiting for the right time to, to get yeah. involved. I mean, he knew we were interested because like a lot of teams were in the race for him in that first period. And I've already said this before that, you know, like we, we've been trying to sign him for ever since, you know, a few weeks after that first event. Um, cause obviously us being a UK organization, being headquartered in London, um, and all the resources and all the facilities, uh, obviously being best friends with one of our players at the time, we just saw it as like a natural fit. And I wouldn't say that we were surprised when he didn't pick us, but I think that we were like, we were pretty high up in the contenders list, I think at the time. Um, but obviously F2, you know, a massive name and they were able to like link him up with Steven Gerrard from day one, which I don't think we had the, really the connections or the resource to do at least from day one. So fair play. But um, no, I think that uh, like we, we kept tabs and um, I think that after about a year, year and a half, and, and he stated this as well, that, you know, last season, although being the most successful season of his entire career and the most like legendary season of FIFA from a player ever, it's actually one of his like most unhappy years. You know, he said he was like not happy. I mean, he just, to be frank, I don't think he was getting the support that he needed there. Um, and so I think that we were kind of aware that he was unhappy. So we were definitely keeping a, a close eye in terms of um, kind of speaking to his agent or whoever it might be to like see what his next move was going to be. So um, once he became a free agent, um, I think it was a not an easy process, but a process that, that we were prepared for, I would say, that we were ready for and that we had kind of even improved our pitch from the pitch that we had uh, put out there two years ago. So that goes back to what you said before, doesn't it, about you know people being ready to sign them and putting making sure that the, the players are happy with the organization and giving them support so that i suppose that's what you think you can provide to tex over the next few years i mean what what's your kind of aim for tex what do you think you can achieve over the next few years with uh, Fnatic? i mean like our our main goal is to win worlds i mean win world cup like that's i think that's all that's that's why he signed with us that's why we signed him is because we Ultimately, as, as an organization, we're here to win championships. But also, of course, on that same edge, you know, he is kind of almost transcended FIFA in a way. Like there are certain uh, people in esports that kind of transcend their their esports in, in, in certain ways and kind of become um, bigger than not the game, but maybe bigger than the esport in some ways. I think Tex is, is, is close to that if not already done it. Um, so for us, it's just about growing his brand, growing him within Fnatic, um, helping us grow together, um, trying to, you know, um, see what we can do in terms of getting him to work with some of the biggest partners in the world. Obviously, we just brought BMW in recently to, to be a sponsor of Fnatic, and Tex is going to be a big part of that. Um, coming in with, uh, you know, the Maui Gym sponsorship that just came in this week, um, being the first ever esports athlete to, to work with his own, like, sunglass brand, I'm pretty sure. Because I don't, I don't think Oakley or Ray-Ban or anyone, anything like that has ever sponsored an esports athlete before. So we're just trying to find really unique opportunities for, for a kid that, you know, is massive in an esport that is so accessible. Because I think obviously there's, you know, some esports that just get gatekeeped a bit, a bit by whether that's Counter-Strike with the terrorist or the, the, the shooter, you know, kind of blood uh, association. Whereas FIFA's not really, you know, doesn't suffer from that. So in terms of the brands that are willing to get involved, I think it's it's just so open, so wide open for us to, to see what we can do with him. And obviously his social media is growing every single day. So we're just trying to help him grow into the into the into the man, into the um, into the kind of icon that, that he's becoming. So I think uh, we've done a great job already. I think we you say that our first season was really successful, obviously going out winning the first turn at the first major after uh, him signing with us was kind of a dream. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think that this game has definitely not been one that is suited to the way he plays. Um, obviously, everyone knows about the comments he's made <laughs> during <Yeah>. the tournaments. <laughs> um, so in, in terms of that, I think that everyone knows that like this game uh, is not made for players that want to attack. It's made for players who want to defend. Um, so I think given given those, you know, given that meta and given what's what's kind of gone on this year, I think we can be pretty happy ending as, you know, world number one and ending with a trophy and 
uh, ending, you know, with multiple top fours. You know, I think that in terms of being consistent this year, it's been incredibly difficult. Um, so for, for him to still be at number one, even after uh, not playing his best and being in a meta where the meta does not suit him, I mean, it just kind of shows the, the overall level of, of, of Texas as, as a player, you know? I think you, you you see that when I was at the World Cup when he he went out at the group stages it was a it was a real shock to everyone really but then when you kind of uh, hear people after talk about what he was going through and I think he just played constantly and he just got a bit tired towards the end I think if he's given the right support like you said with a team like Fnatic behind him it's a it's a scary prospect for everyone else <laughs> in the in the esports world really FIFA esports world. FIFA as a game, you mentioned about the meta and about it's not suiting Texas playstyle. Where does the where does Fnatic stand on that? Because a lot of the esports pros say the same thing about the game and they express the same frustrations about it. Is there anything you can do from from Fnatic's point of view in terms of other organisations? Are they trying to have a conversation with the esports around this is what we want from a, an esports title? Like, where do you stand on it? Yeah, I think that ultimately what the organizations and what EA wants is the same thing. I think we both want an entertaining game to watch and to play. Um, and I think that this year uh, the game definitely hasn't helped. Um, I think that, and I don't think that we are, you know, ignorant of that. And I don't think EA are ignorant of that, to be honest. I think we're all aware that uh, I think the average goals per game um, was something like two and a half this year, whereas back in FIFA 18 it was like five. So we're seeing like half as many goals as we have in past seasons. Because I think FIFA 18 in terms of the eSport, in terms of how fun it was to watch, was actually a really good level. However, FIFA 20, I think, is could potentially be the worst in the past four or five years. I think it's been really poor. Um, but in terms of us trying to find ways to counter that, um, we did do the UK Masters a few weeks ago, which was uh, yeah sponsored by Klarna and Just Eat, who came on to uh, work with us there to make that happen. Um, and that was a tournament where we actually changed the rules. So we literally turned off a lot of the settings that we saw as preventing players from being able to play attractive FIFA. And I think it's no surprise that in the tournament we ran, not only did we average five goals a game, like FIFA 18 did, but we also um, had Tom, um, who, you know, played played for us at Fnatic on loan for, for a few months and was great, but is probably the best attacking player in the world right now on PlayStation. And Gorilla, who, you know, has at many points over the past five years been the best attacking player in the world as well, ended up winning both sides of the tournament, right? So the, uh, and I think that's something that EA potentially could explore in the future. Um, I think you've seen it in other games as well. For example, in Overwatch, um, when they had the, the GOATS meta, which was basically just extremely boring to watch, where it was just like three tanks, three supports, and then they changed that up to make it a bit more entertaining to watch. I think it be, could be something where EA is looking at that as well and says, all right, we could go in and uh, you know put in these rules where overload ball sides no longer allowed, dropbacks no longer allowed, you have to have minimum depth requirements, minimum width requirements, you can't use these formations, just to make the game a bit more entertaining to watch, because I totally understand that different players play different ways, but, you know, if, if the fans don't want to watch the sport, then uh, it kind of makes the uh, the product a bit a bit difficult to sell in a lot of ways, um, if, if fans don't want to watch, so, uh, and we also saw great viewership on our event as well, so, I mean, just imagine if that was an EA event with the full EA support, like, that could have been... It, you could have been huge with the uh, with with the overall entertainment value. I mean, we were seeing like ten eight aggregate scores. I mean, like the amount of goals going in in some of these games is just insane. So uh, it was it was a really entertaining prospect, and I think that's one way at least that we can look to kind of spice things up a bit in a in a meta and in a game where you know things don't get spicy very often. <laughs> it was really really refreshing to see that tournament the UK Masters that you that you held because you could see the players faces as well they kind of they were really enjoying it again they were really yeah. enjoying playing and some of the football that was it was being played was sensational to watch and it was just fun again I think that's that's yeah. the the thing that people have been saying it's not fun FIFA 20 isn't fun to play for all FIFA 19's faults with uh, you know the back post headers and the um, yeah. finesse shots from like backwards yeah, yeah exactly. 90 degree finesse shots from outside the area uh, yeah. first time shots for all that for all those faults that the players obviously did say out loud 
people still had fun with it and there was still an element of this is a game but it's still an esport and it's still competitive but it's fun at the same time you've kind of set the benchmark hopefully to EA Sports to say like this is how you do a fun tournament yeah. because some of the games that we were watching beforehand some of the majors it was just a bit boring wasn't it to watch yeah. and you could see the the players on the on the cams just not even really enjoying it. You could see like hands go up in the air when yeah. they lose possession because they know they're not going to get the ball back for 15 minutes probably. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. Uh, it, it was 100%. great to see. And um, yeah, it was great to see Tex back on form as well, really like playing the type yeah. of football that he can. Can you have any kind of dialogue with EA Sports with future titles to say like, you know, give them a bit of a nudge and say, look, this is what we did. Why don't you try this? Well, I can't really say too much, but I would just say that our, we have a pretty close relationship with EA um, and that they're aware. They were very aware of the tournament. Obviously, they they watched it. They enjoyed it. So um, I can't really say much more than that. But um, I think that in the future, like, I think they're going to be way more open because now they have a case study, right? Because yeah. it, it could have easily happened that we put these that we put these settings into place and the games were fairly similar and it's just like well this game is just not going to allow us to play like this. But the, what the tournament did show is that it's almost not the game in a way. It's just the the overall meta and the way that people are playing this year. Because if everyone played you know ten depth and played everyone stay forward and you know was you know, using all these different attacking settings, then the game would look completely different. And people would probably think about the game completely different just because of the way people are playing. But unfortunately, you know, 4-2-3-1, one depth, one width, drop back, overload ball side exists. And people know that, especially if you're at a low, a lower skill ceiling or if you're at a lower ability, and you know that you might be able to snag a 1-0 win or, you know, get a lead against Tex with those kinds of tactics, then that's probably how you're going to play. Because you know that if you play attacking, then you probably won't be able to beat him, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 just really a degree of just be wanting to make the game fun to watch for everybody. And I th you even saw, like, one of, my com one of my favorite comments from the tournament was uh, Gorilla put a tweet out, I think, and said, this is the most fun I've ever had playing FIFA since FIFA 15, FIFA 16. Wow. Which for me, like, as someone who's been involved in FIFA since FIFA 16, like, that was just, to see Gorilla say that as well was just, like, amazing to see. Um, because we all know that, like, obviously he's, like, yeah, one of the legends of the game and right up there next to Tex in terms of UK legends. Um, so for him to be able to say something like that just really proved that um, the tournament was a success. Like, those are the types of ways that I judged success. Now, obviously, like, you know, the sponsors and the social people, they, they judge success in a different way. But for me, as, like, the tournament, like, the, the main, like, TO, I guess you could say, the main admin for everything, that's how I judged success was the way that the players said that they enjoyed it. And of the 16 players that competed, I think 16 of them said that they enjoyed it and that they will play in another one if we have another one. Um, so, yeah, and you could even saw in the post-match interviews as well, the players were all saying, you know, how much that uh, it was just, the game was just so much more open and, you know, how even when you had a two-goal lead, you didn't feel safe. Like, could you imagine any player saying that yeah. in the past, the season of like, yeah. I had a two-goal lead in FIFA 20 and I didn't feel safe. Um, so for, uh, for us to get to that stage and to get to that, you know, like that stage where people just felt like they could always come back, like they were always in it. Whereas if you go 2-0 down against, you know, crazy fat gamer, like you're not coming back most likely <laughs> this year. So, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was nice to see really. I do understand the A's position though in a way because they're trying to make a football game that is yeah. realistic. So obviously in real life football, you get teams that camp in their own half to stop a better team winning and sometimes they do win 1-0 because yep. you know the the attacking team's not as good or they have an off day or so I understand why they put these kind of tactics in there because they want it to be as realistic as possible so you look at I don't know Liverpool versus Atletico Madrid for example this season Atletico Madrid have a, have a very very specific play style they're a lot more defensive they're very compact whereas Liverpool are more expansive and looking to attack so so in a way, if you're making the most realistic football game possible, you want both tactics in there. But then if you do that, like they've done this season, then people are going to exploit whatever is the most successful within that within the game, I suppose. So it is difficult for them to kind of get that mix because we've asked a few people really their opinion on it. 
is a real life football game going to be a successful esport if it's realistic because you're going to have yeah. like bounces and stuff as well and elements of luck and if that yeah, really exactly. goes against you what what's your feeling on that does it need to be less random or what what was your what's your personal opinion on it so i don't know if i'm in the minority or the majority here but i actually in terms of esports right so i'm not talking about fifa as a football simulator i'm talking about it as an esport here i actually don't care if it's that close to football I would prefer a game. So one thing that I always like to bring up with with friends and with people in the scene is, uh, for example, so take Rocket League as another esport, for example. So when you go up to hit the ball and you hit it with your car, the ball is going to move, right? The ball's always going to move. They have that physics system in 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 place, and the ball's always going to move. But in FIFA, for example, if you shoot at a defender, there's a chance that that defender might open his legs and the ball goes through his legs, and it goes in. Now, from an esports side of things, why is there a hole in your hitbox, right? If you're standing in front of, a, of an attacker with your, def- with your defender, like, for example, it would, be the simil- it would be the same thing as if, you know, a Rocket League player takes a shot, and there's a car, and all of a sudden the car, there's a hole in the middle of the car, and the ball just goes through the car <laughs> and scores. You know, like, that doesn't make sense to me as an eSport. So, in my in my opinion, like, I would close off the gap between the legs, which sounds like a radical thing to do if you're a football fan. But in terms of eSports, in my opinion, it makes sense. Because you've put your player in the correct position to defend that. So why is the ball going through their legs? Why are there holes in your hitboxes? Another thing is, like, why were the uh, referees able to like touch the ball for a long time? You know, yeah. the fact that that was a thing makes no sense for it's an esport. It's a lack of control, isn't it? You can do everything in your control to stop a ball going in, but sometimes it's it's the, the things that you can't control. They're the most restraining things, like you said. So if it hits the referee or it goes through the through a defender's legs, it's it's the element of control that people don't like, isn't it? The fact that they don't feel in yeah. control of their own performance. Yeah. Ultimately, what, what FIFA pros want is consistency. That's yeah. what they want. Yeah. They want a game that's going to be consistent. So if they get... So, for example, FIFA 18 was a bit interesting because there were certain positions that if you get to, you know you're going to probably be able to score. So there were certain parts in the pitch where players would just try to get to because they knew if they could get there and they could take that shot across the box, you know, then the ball was probably going to go in. But at least then, you kind of had... oh you had different ways of getting to that position. You had different, you know, different options as well outside of that to try and score, but it was consistent. And so, yeah, the game could, the game could be boring sometimes because, you know, people were always just taking the same kinds of shots, but would you rather have that or a game where like, you know, the, the ball's just always kind of like bouncing around and taking crazy deflections and, you know, you're doing, uh, you know, uh, El Tornado crosses to get back post, back post headers. Like, you know, I would I would prefer the FIFA 18 eSport probably to FIFA 20 or FIFA 19 in general um, just because it was so much more consistent and at least encouraged a bit more uh, of an attacking play style. So, yeah, I don't I don't know. It's, uh, it's a hard one, isn't it, for them? It's to, a hard one, yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's hard for them to get the mix. For but, sure. Because uh, some people have said as well the, the idea of making a separate esports version of the yeah, game, right, yeah. where you kind of have just like even a different tab on Ultimate Team where you can go and play a different version of the game where maybe there's no 4-2-3-1, maybe there's minimum depth, maybe there's no overload ball side, maybe some of these settings are turned off. I mean, it's the same thing, for example. So I used to compete in Halo when I was young. And in Halo, you had the regular ranked playlists. You had like Social, which was like unranked playlists. And then you had MLG, which was Major League Gaming, and they had specific settings. They had specific things on the map that were different. They had, you know, your your radar was, you know, turned off. You had like different kind of settings within within that one type of Halo that was completely different, and it was made for competitive. So I don't really see why we couldn't do the the same thing with with esports. But obviously, then the you know discussion of FIFA being involved as a governing body. Are they really going to want some kind of weird pseudo version of football on their game? Um, that's the question, right? Because yeah. ultimately, when we talk about esports, you know, we see it as like a very cool, very awesome thing. But to FIFA themselves, I mean, what percentage of their thought towards that game of FIFA goes to esports? Maybe like one percent, two percent, maybe. Like, it's probably not a very big amount, right? It's it's doesn't probably doesn't take a lot of their brain power to think about the esports side of things. So yeah. for us, it's just about doing the most we can with that one to two percent of their attention to, you know, push for these types of changes. 
It's interesting as well, isn't it? Because if there was a a better competitor to FIFA, I think there would be a bit more emphasis on it. But I I was reading an old interview with you. I can't remember what website it was or publication, but you were talking about Pro Evolution Soccer and saying that it's not really a major competitor to FIFA because it was maybe the first one to be mainstream, wasn't it? Like back in the day, it was the one that everyone played pretty much and then kind of FIFA's just overtaken it. Yeah, exactly. I mean... Pez is Pez is a weird one because they 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 try really hard and you know I've spoken to the people at Konami before and they're all great people and um, I think they have a really interesting product that's really promising in different regions. For example, you know they have like really big uh, player bases in places that you would never think of. Like I think they have like a few million players in Indonesia or something like that wow. on their on their mobile platform. For example, for on Pez Mobile, they have like millions of fans on you know uh, in like South America. Um, so it's it's kind of in, in Japan as well, of course, they have quite a big fan base. Um, so for them, it's it's really just about finding their niche at the moment. But in terms of being a true major competitor, um, it's it's going to be a case of either, you know, Pez is taking more and more teams every year from FIFA to where FIFA is starting to worry about their, you know, overall relationship with the different leagues. Because if if all of a sudden FIFA has no licenses and has no teams in the game, maybe then things start to change a bit. Because yeah. if FIFA doesn't have the Premier League, and if FIFA doesn't have, you know, Liga, don't have Bundesliga, all of a sudden all of the licenses are with Pez, then things maybe start to change. But until that happens, and obviously I don't think EA would let that happen, and I don't think FIFA would let that happen. Um, but until that happens, I don't really think that anything is going to be able to uh, kind of shift the needle in any meaningful way, I would say. We saw Juventus. That was the first major thing that I've yep. seen for a few years. Obviously, Piemont to Calcio on, <laughs> on FIFA yeah, 20. Uh, exactly. Manchester United are, are official partners, aren't they, of Pez yep. for the next few years. But uh, Liverpool are partners with EA Sports, so you can go yep. both ways. But I'm conscious we've been talking about FIFA for, for <laughs> quite a long time. So uh, sure. I just want to, for people listening that want to kind of learn about more esports, what other uh, esports are you involved in at Fnatic? So I have the ones that I'm actively involved in now and the ones I've kind of worked on in the past. So the ones I've worked on in the past include like Street Fighter, uh, Rocket League, Apex Legends are kind of the, the big ones. And then the ones that I'm working on now, I've also worked a bit on, on Pez in the past as well. But the ones I'm working on now is uh, obviously FIFA, Valorant and uh, Fortnite. So those are kind of my three my three projects at the moment that I'm working on with Fnatic. You're kind of managing the players, the professional players for all these different esports, whilst also keeping an eye on the talent at other organisations and and seeing what's going on with them. I mean, that must be quite a busy a busy role that you've got. Yeah, it's it's pretty busy. Obviously, right now with with Fortnite and um, with Valorant, uh, we actually only have one Fortnite player, and we have no Valorant players. So for me, right now, it's it's actually about the building out the. Um, the teams and what they're going to look like. Um, So Valorant obviously is a bit of a difficult one with it being so new. I think a lot of different organizations are taking very different approaches to the title right now. You've got some people that, you know, had rosters two months ago um, and are spending exorbitant amount of money on players. Um, (laughs) Then you have some teams that have, uh, you know, maybe signed one or two players and are kind of building theirs piece by piece. And then you have some teams that have signed no players obviously we're in that camp of we've signed no one yet um that doesn't mean that we're not having conversations and are actively you know involved and are very aware of what's going on in Valorant um but it does mean that I think we're being a bit more patient um we we ran a Valorant tournament last month as well um which was I think we we thought it was really successful and I think the players really enjoyed it it also gave us a chance to really get to know a lot of the the top pros in the game at the moment but I think that we're still really really early in the game yet and I think there's a lot of time to really figure out what it's going to be and who the best players are going to be because the players that are you know winning tournaments right now in six months, nine months, a year, like are these same players still going to be at the top? A pretty good chance that they won't be um, just because there's going to be a lot of different you know talent coming up over the next few months, most likely within this title that um, could easily you know shake things up really quickly. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's a bit of a wild west right now in Valorant, but. Uh, I think that, um, yeah, our our strategy is is just to be patient at the moment. 
it'd be easy to say, you know, just go and get the best ones, really, the best performing <laughs> esports players, the kind of the ones that are all winning. But is there anything else that you look for in terms of their personality, the way they conduct themselves? Is there is there anything that you look for specifically when you're looking for talent? I suppose in, the, in a similar way to a, a football agent would or a football club would. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that Fnatic as a whole is fairly clean cut. So I think that most of the players we sign, um, there's not a lot of uh, controversy or not a lot of, you know, I think that certain, like we have certain players that, you know, might have their haters or their detractors or whatever, for whatever reason. But I think for the most part, they're like fairly clean cut. Like I think that teams like, you know, FaZe or whoever else it might be, you know, may have a bit of a different approach um, to their to their talent or whatever else it might be like that obviously they have a very heavy content focus for example i think that we don't have as heavy as a as a content focus um but obviously you know i think that's that's probably changing a bit um as like more and more of the players we're bringing in are kind of dual threat like tex is the perfect example of that kind of player that comes in and you know yeah he's the best player in the world and he has a you know a lot of fans but he's got half a million subscribers on youtube he's got you know a hundred thousand on Twitch and is pulling like five thousand concurrent on 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 Twitch for FIFA, which is pretty solid. Um, so I think the more that we can find players like that that kind of are dual purpose, um, the better because they help everyone at the organization, whether that's the content department, whether that's the social media department, the partnerships department, all these different departments all benefit from signings like this. So um, yeah, it's it's just about finding more well-rounded players for us that um, I think are good in front of camera. Um, look good in black and orange. That usually helps. Um, <laughs> these types of things. Uh, I think it's, and I think that most of the signings we made in the past, like year, year and a half, have have been really good. And also, I think in general, we like to bring in kind of um, some younger players into a lot of our teams that um, are kind of up and coming. Like Brolan, for example, within Counter Strike, it's a good example of that. Tex, obviously, still very, very young, just turned nineteen. Um, so, like, if we can bring in younger talent that we can kind of help turn into to fanatic legends, um, the better, because I think that's, I think Tex and Roland are both on that path already. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, in general, that's, that's, that's the direction we like to take. Obviously I think in, we will have a few veterans of course, in, in, in a lot of our teams, like, and, you know, CS, we have a very established roster outside of the, you know, the younger players. Um, but for, uh, you know, a lot of our teams, we like to have kind of that few veterans, those stand up players that, um, can kind of lead the team and then have a few just really talented players around them. So, and obviously FIFA is a bit different being a 1v1 esport, but um, within our team games, yeah, it's uh, it's a bit like that. And what do you think about the future gaming titles? I mean, are you are you looking to stretch into into even more? So obviously you've got the F1 2020 game, you've got a lot of buzz around that in terms of esports. Would you be interested in going into that as well? Or is that not really a fun tech thing? Uh, so for F1, F1's obviously, the, the way they've done things is they've actually brought in the official teams before. So the actual official racing teams have uh, had representation within that eSport. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like, I wouldn't say gatekept us, but yeah, I, it's not really an opportunity for us. I would say G2 got involved in a way where I think that they partnered with one of the teams and with one of the drivers, I think. I'm not sure if that was F1 specific, but I know that they got involved with F1 in some way. Um, so for us, that's not really an opportunity but i would say that you know valorant's obviously one that we'll be involved in within the next six months that's pretty much guaranteed um and i think there are a few other titles that are coming up over the next you know six to 12 months that we're pretty interested in as well um but i think at the moment we're we're fairly happy i think that our rainbow six team's done a great job of, of growing over the past uh, year i think that the counter-strike team's in a in a pretty good place um i think the league of legends team's in a pretty good place fifa's obviously solid um, our PUBG mobile team is is picking things up again. So I think that overall the 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 uh, roster that we have right now we're we're fairly happy with. But I think that there are definitely a few titles that um, we'll be picking up in the next year or so that will uh, even expand expand us even more into some new titles that will uh, hopefully engage some some new regions potentially. Um, and we'll just kind of see what uh, see what the future brings. Really, I think that we're always working on new stuff, always looking at the at the next iteration of, of what Fnatic looks like and what the, you know, that next title that we're looking on entering is. 
That's the great thing about esports, though, right? I mean, you've got games that you have certain cycles of games, but then there's always that next big one that comes out that you're not expecting or that it comes out and just kind of absolutely dominates the scene. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. look at Apex, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> Apex came out of absolutely nowhere and just all of a sudden everyone had a team. Um, obviously, I think COVID hit Apex really uh, at a really, really bad time for them that you know, we were supposed to have a tournament in Texas that weekend when things started getting shut down, when they closed down the flights between the U.S. and the U.K., for example. Um, we actually had our EU team in London at the time boot camping when the tournament got canceled. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's a bit unfortunate for titles like that. We're obviously no longer involved in Apex, but I think that, yeah, like you said, there's there's those titles that just kind of are always coming out and that we always just have to be kind of ready to jump into at a at a moment's notice, because I think that most teams had Apex teams within a, within a month, probably, of the game coming out. Yeah. So Fortnite only came out in 2017. <laughs> that is just yeah. unbelievable. To think of how, yeah. I mean, how much it's grown in three years, and it's only, it's only come out three years ago. I mean, over the next 5, 10, 15 years, it's exciting to think about how big esports could be and some of the games you could be seeing, especially on these next-gen consoles with the extra power and processing power they've got, better yeah. graphics. I think it's a really interesting time for esports, and it's only going to get more and more popular with better gameplay and, and more exciting games as well. The future's bright. For all of us, yeah. yeah. I'm excited. I think it's... Uh very exciting period once we get into this holiday period once uh, we get into 2021 and life gets back to normal a bit we can have live Fingers events again yeah. yeah exactly but uh in the meantime we'll just keep competing online you know keep doing our best and uh keep keep being esports really appreciate your time kojo honestly it's been amazing having you on and um, it's been really interesting to listen a in, in terms of a completely different viewpoint to what we've had before as well. So to, to hear kind of the other side, if you like, of esports has been really interesting. So uh, thanks a lot for coming on. Stay safe and uh, hope to see you at a future esports event. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Level Up podcast and esports and gaming show. Make sure you've subscribed to the podcast and follow us on social media at Level Up Pod. We'll be back for another episode very soon.